All right. Uh, welcome to a Come Follow Me podcast, everybody. We have recorded um, two podcasts on the same week. Uh, Ricky is with me again. We're still waiting for Brian to recover from his uh, trip to the cruise. And I'm about to go on a cruise. Ricky and I actually are both about to go on a cruise. So this is the same week. You're going to be listening to this two weeks after we've recorded this. So undoubtedly, Ricky and I are going to learn some stuff between now and then about this, about this stuff. But I've been working diligently to get it all together. Great chapters here. Super excited to talk about the end of the book of Genesis, the endings part of the, of the Joseph story. And so we're going to begin with uh, a reversal story. So in our first half last week, we see Joseph, um, the favored son, being um, resented by his brothers, sold into slavery, and then go through all the experiences he went through. Mistreated. and Yeah, mistreated and all that, but then ending up on top. Right. Now, the famine is hit. And just like Joseph predicted, and Jacob and his family are struggling. And so he sends them to Egypt because there's, there's grain in Egypt. And so they come and now the balance of power switch. It is the same characters. It is the same, um, like even tactics and stuff. Right. Only Benjamin becomes the stand in for Joseph, right? Cause he's now the favored son of Rachel and Jacob and, and all these things. Um, but now we're now we're meant to see and Joseph kind of mis mistreats his brothers is what we start to see. I happening. mean, I mean, same motivation, because I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I could say the same motivation. On no, I didn't say same motivation, same characters and same. Did I say motivation? I didn't mean motivation. Same, same words, same tactics, but not the same so motivation at all. Same right. Yeah. right. That is, so that so what's the difference in the motivations, would you say? Well, I mean, uh, I really like in chapter 42, verse nine, where he's in the middle of this whole thing where he sees his brothers and they come and they 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 kind of bow down to him. And first line of verse nine is he goes, he remembers the dreams which he had dreamed. It's almost like there's this split second where he's like, this looks really familiar. Yeah. Look, or look, look or at how my dream is coming out. Or it's like the text wants us to realize this is a fulfillment of the dream. Because you'll see that all the way through. That's why there's so many word plays. And that's why there's so many allusions to different things. We're supposed to look back at it. Well, and, and I'm, I'm looking at my, I don't know which Hebrew Bible you have. I have Robert Alders. Yeah, I've, yeah, you got the really expensive one for free from Mason. I, yeah, he's good. I got this one for free from the Institute Library. So I want Robert Alters as well, but I've got the. Yeah, the he's got a great commentary, and on that verse itself, he says he says that this is actually not a literary device used very often in Scripture, and Which so it's is, interesting that that the moment where it actually calls you to remember um, back and harken back, like the text actually says, he remembered the dreams, and you're supposed to go, oh yeah, those dreams. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen very often, but in this story, it's like it's he says it doesn't happen very often. I feel like it happens all the way through Genesis. I like think we're, he naturally do that. Well, I we're gonna text tells you, like for instance, Reuben's patriarchal blessing, where it says something about you've laid in your father's couch, and that's supposed to bounce you back to this one cryptic thing in Genesis 35. You know, he says rarely used. He doesn't say never used. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but this is meant to be like, literally, this is supposed right. to be read side by side and seen 
as a reversal of the sword and a coming full circle. And so let's, yeah. yeah, so let's actually move then to the point of it all, because we, we were talking motives a second ago. So what is Joseph's motive? What, why is he doing this? I mean, I sat there feeling bad for his brothers. I felt bad for Jacob, who's at the end of his life and he's stressing his dad out. But what's Joseph doing? Is this a moment of proving guilt and or repentance? Is that what this is? Do you, do you see that? I mean, I do mainly because I grew up watching that kind of hokey miniseries on this where <laughs> it's totally Joseph just seeing if his brothers have changed. And so now mm -hmm. I can't not read it that way. Yeah, so I, I, that's kind of how I go with it. Well, so I, I look at a couple of possibilities. So what if his brothers hadn't changed? What if they were still the selfish, bratty jerks they were before? How do you how do you see the rest of the story playing out? Does Joseph? I mean, he he sends them with grain, so it's not like he's going to be all heartless and let his whole family perish. So it's there is a moment where he's like, take this home, and take care of your family. I am going to take the one jerk brother who's the biggest jerk of all the jerks, right? I'm going to keep him in prison. <laughs> you think? Simeon. You think Simeon <laughs> Simeon's the instigator there? <laughs> I mean, whether you want to view this, but but I I guess I can get caught up in the details of the fact that he makes he's Sim, Simeon's the one he makes suffer a little bit. Uh, uh, you you get Reuben who's trying to defend. You get you get Judah at the you know with. We'll Jake get to Judah. Him. We'll get Judah on the next one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah we'll so get I Judah mean, on the next one. I can't get too caught up into the details of this, but it does feel like he wants to see his guilt accompanying any kind of repentance. Is he seeing any kind of change in his brothers? Yeah, I, I suppose, and that could be either he's selfish, like Joseph himself wants some kind of cathartic. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to see them go through what I went through and I need to see that they've repented so that I can forgive them. But I don't know if that fits. If we're going to count Joseph as a Christ type. It's not a good principle. Is no, it? it's not at all. I think I read it that way because I'm projecting myself because that's how I would feel. I wonder, and we don't know. I mean, this is now revisionist history, but what if they, the brothers weren't ready to go? I think Joseph, if he's being a Christ type, is trying to assess where they're at so he knows how he can help them. And the fact that they are so contrite, um, he can reveal himself to them. He can't, he can't even stop himself from weeping, you know, from his brothers and just revealing everything to them. But there is something interesting about this whole thing that kind of the what goes around comes around principle and part of the repentance for them is to, and, and it seems to be on the tip of their mind as well, because they go away thinking this is because we did that to Joseph all those years ago. Like this is even on their mind. The guilt of the last 20 years is still yeah. present. And this is allowing them because repentance is a turning. It is a reversing of the patterns. What is that? That was me. Sorry. I got to turn off my notifications. Oh. <laughs> but I thought a microwave was going off. You had a burrito in the microwave. <laughs> Um, and, and that, that is what repentance is. And, and not that there's a tit for tat or that, you know, we can somehow fix everything, but there does need to be efforts to change. And that's what we, I think we see that in the brothers unwittingly. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they know they're repenting. I think this does go back to what the point that was made previously was with old Testament, especially it's not so much what's not mentioned. It's what is mentioned in the text that we should focus on. Doesn't tell us what Joseph's motivations are. It, but it does spend a lot of time talking about how the brothers do feel about what they've done to their brother before. Yeah. 
And so yeah. maybe that is the focus. I think we're on to that point. That is, that is a wise thing, though. I, I like to get into my revisionist history, but maybe sometimes you got to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come to the same conclusion, but you're right. The text, the text wants us to see what it wants us to see. And it wants us to see the brothers having these wrestles that they have changed. We're supposed to that's see that they've changed. Yeah. Right. Yep. So then let's uh, let's move this then to um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's it's uh, va va yigash is is how the Hebrew study Bible it's Judah's va yigash, which means um, uh, let's see where is it. It means a bold intercession, right? A bold intercession. So Judah promises Jacob when he, when they go to get Benjamin because that's the the stipulation, and and Jacob's like. I've already lost my first favorite son. I can't lose my second favorite son. And, and Judah says, I will take the fall for him. I like, it'll be on me. And so when they go back and Joseph, you know, is going to really push this whole thing with, by the way, he has a divining cup for anybody that like feels like Joseph Smith's weird with seer stones. He's got a divining cup. He looks in the cup and anyway, anyway, it's old stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, Judah does a thing that we saw Abraham do. In fact, the same Vayagash Hebrew was used when Abraham, do you remember when Abraham was uh, negotiating for Sodom? And he was doing this delicate balanced dance between bold assertions and deference. So he's doing a lot of like, don't be mad at me, but are you really going to kill all those people? You know, like, and, and so he's doing kind of this thing. And you see that with Judah, like this takes courage for Judah to stand up to the, the prime minister of Egypt, who is pretty acting pretty angry to say, you're not going to kill my dad over this. You'll take me instead. Please don't be angry, though. I mean, I, the, if we found grace in your sight. Right. So right. so what are you seeing then with with Judah's va yagash, his bold um, intercession? That's maybe we should be paying attention to in the story. Well, I mean, Judah does that more than once in this story, right? He does it there, but he also does it with Jacob, with Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Like, the, I, I wonder, I wonder if, and maybe now I'm going to go ahead and take it <laughs> away from the text. It's hard but, to but I wonder if there is uh, maybe a, a priestly motivation to include that it is Judah who is making these like, intercessions these these legally binding vows like he does it with pharaoh but he does it with jacob saying i promise you i legally bind myself i'll take care of benjamin and i wonder if there's somebody in there going look it's judah doing its role and it's gonna and judah's doing its role now later on in history you know if this is really put down to paper 600 bc so long after this mm -hmm. i wonder if there's a motivation to say look at what judah's doing yeah but what's interesting is this is messianic not priestly levi's the priestly tribe so, I mean, even if we're saying Genesis doesn't get rid down to 600 BC, this is Christ. He's playing the role of Christ, the intercessor. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Especially with Judah being his line, right? Yeah. Um, and then with his future patriarchal blessing, I'm sure we'll probably get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, patriarchal we'll... blessing with, he, you know, he gets the scepter and whatnot. And that's all kingly. That's all messianic. But here you have, maybe that's the, the throwback is. Eventually, he's going to have that promise of the scepter, and you've got him making that plea to an earthly king. So yeah. I think there's some interesting connection. I, I think if if uh, this was an interesting insight as I was studying, but if you were to look at Genesis 44, 18 through 34, which is the, the Va Yagash, and Doctrine and Covenants 45, 3 through 5, 
It's oh, just, yeah. it's interesting how parallel it is where Christ boldly goes before the throne of his father and with deference, but bold in uh, assertion intercedes. And, and there's some, there's some cool parallels. Yeah. Let's, uh, but let's move, let's keep moving. So the, the next thing, so in chapter 45, Joseph reframes the entire thing. Now he's revealed himself to his brothers and he reframes the whole story. Right. Just like he did with the dreams, he's now going to interpret the story. And he basically, he says to them, don't be mad at yourselves. God did this. So Ricky, <laughs> here's the theological question. Like, because there's, uh, you know, there may be confusion out there between human agency and God's divine plan. And I mean, if we take this to one extreme, we're saying nothing is human agency. God controls everything. So God put it into the hearts of the brothers to be mad at their at, at Joseph and to, and to sell him into slavery. God put it into Potiphar's wife's heart to be a seductress. God put it into Pharaoh's heart to impale his butler. You know, like all these awful things in the story is all God. That's one extreme. Doesn't taste good. I don't like that. On the other extreme is God doesn't do anything. Like he just kind of spun up all the, the little, you know, automatons and sent them out there. And now he's just watching to see how it all plays out. Right. That's the other extreme. Which flies in the face with what Joseph is saying. Yeah. Joseph obviously is not on that side of the extreme. It would be pushing us more towards, well, you know, it all happens for a reason. Like you hear people say stuff like that. And I would say, yeah, the reason is a fallen world and sin conceiving in their hearts and the brothers are jerks because they're fallen. That's yeah, the reason. And, and I think and I think theologically there is safety in, in going down that middle road where you have agency happening and God's going, well, I guess this is what I got to work with. Yeah. Is that the middle road? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. You got to see both sides of that. He says it more than once. It's not just in chapter 45. He says it again in chapter 50. Yeah. He's like, this was this. This is necessary. And I don't think we have to go to the extremes. I think, no, we shouldn't. And when we look back at our lives and we see stuff happen, I don't think we have to go, yeah, God made that thing happen for me to be where I am now. I think you have to walk down that line going, yeah, agency came into play and that's what God had to work with, with his plan. And that, that feels better to me. Yeah, I, I think section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, again, I go back to that. That is an anchor section for me on how to read scripture and how to read God's plan. Because he says, I use the weak things of the earth to break down the mighty and strong ones. Weak things doesn't mean weak humans versus strong humans. He means humans. Humans are weak things. And um, the plan is not that God does everything for us. God, we're, he's trying to build us. He's trying to exalt us. And so he allows us to do our thing. And he has infinite capacity to redeem our things that's what he does and joseph was supposed to be in egypt to save israel that that was going to happen how that was going to happen was going to be up to the human agents right and god was able to use their jealousy and potiphar's wife's um adultery and like he's able to he can make good come out of all of that i think that's applicable in my life because yeah. if I'm walking around either thinking God's doing everything, so I'm just lazily, like section 58 seems to condemn that philosophy. Or if I think it's all on me and there's nothing that, you know, I've, I've got to figure it all out. That's a pretty depressing life. But if I can just appreciate, I'm going to do the best I can. Elder Bednar says this all the time when he comes to our ward. Just focus on being a good boy, being a good girl, 
That's what he always says, when, like when he does Q and A's with the youth, and and that's that's a theme. Just uh, if I can be the best I can be, I'm going to make mistakes, but I don't have to sit there and worry about it because God can use all my weakness, and His work is going to go forward. Yeah, you can make the same argument if you go and read the first chapter of the book of Job. And you go, well, look at here's God saying, go ahead, Satan, go ahead and cause all these hard things to happen to Job. And I don't think that fits in the plan. It's not like all the bad things are from Satan either. Yeah. But, but but it is a it is a storytelling device. It is something that helps teach that larger, complicated vision of mortal experience that stuff's going to happen. And we are going to have divine providence that's going to help things be for our good. You look at Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail. Um, yeah, you, you can't, you can't say necessarily that God caused that, but he definitely made it for his good. It was a launch pad to Nauvoo for sure. And world war two was a launch pad to tremendous growth in the gospel. Who knows what God's going to do with this Putin Russia garbage. But, you know, Brian had an interest. I was talking to him. We were both driving off. He had an interesting thought. He said, uh, Spencer Cox, the governor of Utah has been issuing Ukrainians come to us. Um, you know, Airbnb says we will let Ukrainian refugees stay here for free. There's Russians are fleeing Russia, by the way, like people are getting out of there. God's gathering Israel. So who knows if a madman in Russia, which God did not cause, but he's using it to hasten his work, which we know he's doing, you know, that's kind of cool. Way, which, by the way, is kind of how the gathering is happening in China. It's not happening in China necessarily. It's the it's when these Chinese go out. They, they get gathered and then they come back. It wouldn't it be interesting if that's truly how the temple in, in Russia is eventually built. Yeah. Well, it's how the temple in China right. in Shanghai, right? Yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk patriarchal blessings. So, okay. So I noticed an interesting pattern. First of all, it's not a perfect fit to call what Jacob's doing here a patriarchal blessing, right? Yeah. Um, because it's, because kind of, it's kind of hard for, I get that all the time from youth going, where can I learn about my patriarchal blessing? And, and they're told, go to these chapters and read it. Cause then they come back and go. I don't <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's useful if you are from the tribe of Ephraim to then read just specifically the verses um, to Ephraim, which and, is and it's gotta be just the ones, right? 48 and then Joseph's in 49. And those are actually, I mean, um, Joseph's blessing so so yeah so well i'll just finish that thought joseph's blessing is dripping with restoration stuff and if it's not clear to you in 49 i i think students should try to see if they can see restoration 49 that's a good exercise but if it's not clear to them then you go to jst genesis 50 and then it's clear it's it's basically second Nephi three right um and, and you'll see it in there and so yeah it is it is helpful to to look at these verses only but but you can't just say go look at those verses it's the old testament you got to help them frame it here's what i've learned about patriarchal blessings in this study number one patriarchal blessings are a reiteration of the abrahamic covenant to individuals so we've seen this pattern now all the way through Genesis, that God keeps on talking and, and reiterating the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what I see with Ephraim and Manasseh, that Jacob is adopting them as his sons. And then he is, um, I should do this because this is what he did. But um, then he is, he is incorporating them into the Abrahamic covenant. So that number one, you want to know why you have a lineage declaration in your patriarchal blessing? Because you are being incorporated into the Abrahamic covenant, right? Which, by the way, is not 
that is not well explained. Yeah, um, I don't. You know what I mean? I mean, how I don't know you, if I've well explained it till this year. Well, I mean, how? Yeah, how old were you when you realized that that's what it was? I mean, I understood something of it, but I'm telling you, this year, these last two months, I'm understanding the Abrahamic covenant like I never had before. And then suddenly you're like, oh wait, that's what my patriarchal blessings do. And not it's just not, our. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say it's. It was not that we went and saw a fortune teller and he gave us our fortune. Yeah. Yeah, but that it was a re-emphasis of what God has always done since the beginning of the book of Genesis, and that was establish a covenant, and he he emphasized it in a, in in a different couple of ways, but with Adam and with Enoch and with Noah and with Abraham, yeah. Isaac, and Jacob, and and here we are, we get this blessing, and we think that we're supposed to read into it our fortunes, when in fact, he's re-establishing the covenant personally to us right and really the blessing is pointing us to the temple where it actually happens where it actually takes yeah because in the in the temple abraham isaac and jacob is everywhere and and students should be using their patriarchal blessing to prepare them for the temple but there is a little aspect of the fortune telling that's why we get it a little bit because there is prophecy in here there are warnings in here for sure right and, and, and we'll see that in these blessings these blessings that jacob gives tends to be more prophetic when it comes to his sons, uh, like, and in fact, he even says it that way, doesn't he? That this is what's going to be something like that at the very beginning of 49. Jacob called the sons together. May I tell you that which will befall you in the last days? Last days, you know, to us, we hear that and we think last, last days. He just means in future days. And so he does. He does a little bit like Reuben. Your tribe used to be the birthright tribe. It's going to be nothing, <laughs> like, right? Unstable as water. Yep. Simeon and Levi, you know, basically he tells them you're going to get absorbed. Uh, Simeon just gets absorbed by Judah. Levi never gets tribal lands because it's just the, the priestly area, you know, and, and, and on and on. The two that we should pay attention to is Joseph, like we just mentioned, and Judah's. Judah's, as much as Joseph drips with restoration, Judah drips with messianic prophecy. Right. And, and, and we ought to see that. We ought to like look at it and say, okay, what is this kind of talking about? But it kind of relates back to Judah's intercession we talked about before. Absolutely. Has, has Eli gotten his patriarchal blessing yet? Has not. In fact, I, we could potentially have Eli, Abby, and Eve go in and get it at the wow. same time. Brad Wilcox on Why Religion podcast um, just published a book on it. It was interesting to hear Brad Wilcox again after the, the kerfuffle, but um, <laughs> I only listened about five, 10 minutes before I got interrupted with a phone call. But it is interesting to think about that when the pandemic hit, all our patriarchs in the church are part of the vulnerable population. So patriarchal right. blessings basically stopped Stop. for a year and a half. It really did. And, uh, and, and, and brother Wilcox was just about to get to what they've seen in research at, that has been the result of that. Um, but Casey Griffiths, who is the, the BYU professor interviewing him said, my daughter had her recommend in hand. She was ready to get her blessing. And then the pandemic hit. So she went to her first year of college without a patriarchal blessing. And he said, she felt it. She felt a need for direction, for a connection. There's something about having this revelation that is so Genesis, so Abrahamic and patriarchal. Patriarchal means the patriarchs. Yeah. And to have it personally for you, it's a moment where you can feel you are part of Abraham's family. That's a big deal. It, it almost feels like the patriarchal blessing element to these stories are, are more, and maybe I'm just speaking from the perspective of my blessing, but it feels way more about those moments when Isaac's like, hey, Jacob, I need you to go to Haran to go get married. Like it almost feels like it was way more of that 
yeah. then here in chapter 49 and 50, where they're like, in the last days, you're, you know, your tribe will do this and such and such. Your tribe will do this. It's way more like, hey, don't, don't marry, don't, don't marry one of the Canaanites. You, you need to go to Haran and you'll, you'll find your wife there. Yeah. And, and, and those experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Big finish. Let me put this down to one minute, 30 seconds, even though we blow it up every time. <laughs> and here we go. Okay. In the big finish, um, the only time God speaks in uh, Genesis 37 through 50 is when he re reiterates the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob right before Jacob's like trying to decide, is he going to move his whole family out of the promised land? And the Lord says, yep, go ahead and do that. It's in 46, two through four. Significant? I mean, anytime God talks, it's, it's significant. When Where do you think he went? Why do you think he went away for 37 through 50? I Never mean, thought of that, huh? I, I mean, I mean, went away. I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just where the, the narration just went different, but yeah. But but here you have a voice where it's definitive and saying, hey, listen, it does play into the whole messianic salvation theme of it. Go. Yeah. yeah. This is you where your family I'll redeem is. you. I'll bring yep. you back. Yep. Um, 70 people go with Jacob. Maybe you have to do some fudging of numbers and you got to disregard all the women to get to that number. This is a classic case that ancient historians are not like modern historians. They're not interested in getting the facts right, they're interested in telling a story. And 70 means perfect number. It's supposed yeah, to be I was representative. Say, that's, that's a symbolic number. That's not, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's meant to, not, yeah, wholeness is it, right? Is that well, whole, wholeness, perfection. Abraham had a promise. Now we have this family of 70. It's like the family's whole. Family. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Man, we only got through two of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the uh, the blessing of the Gentiles, there's this moment where it says that jo Joseph bade uh, uh, Pharaoh or something like that. But the word can also be blessed. And by Jewish study Bible had a really interesting insight. This is the legacy of the Abrahamic family that they bless all the Gentiles they come in contact with, except for the ones that are attacking them. Right. And, and it made me wonder about like, so is that, am I fulfilling my part of the legacy? Is it a blessing for my neighbors, my community my friends, my family, is it a blessing for me to be in their life? Do I make that kind of an impact? Yeah, and, anyway. and maybe that's part of the church's invitation to be civically minded. I mean, maybe that's part of the reasons why we're told to participate. Little leaven, leavens yep. the lump. Yep. Okay, enslaving Egypt, there's a super uncomfortable moment where uh, Joseph, as he's in control, starts to super grow Pharaoh's power base by enslaving everybody. Um, the narrator does not seem to be bothered by this at all, right? And, they wouldn't. And the, it's an ancient culture. Don't be a bad tourist, Chad. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do with it? What's this whole deal with it? It's, yeah, nothing? It's, it's the same thing that you would do with Wait a second. He just married his wife's servant. I mean, are we okay with, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's a different culture, different. You can give it a lot. I, yeah. I accept that there is a theme. There's a constant theme and, and there's always these parallel stories going on and he enslaves Egypt and his people are about to be enslaved by Egypt. Right. Like there's this pattern of enslavement and freedom, right? The people are rejoicing that they get to have this deal because they don't die. You know? And you know, you're you're also talking about people who probably really wrote this all stuff, all this stuff down in in sixth century BC, and what what's happening during yeah. that time frame is stick it to the that. Egyptians. One time yeah. we got you, maybe. Yeah. There's there's some agendas. 
Final thought, the burials. Um, so both Jacob and Joseph have a charge to be buried in Canaan, even though they die in Egypt. But Jacob is taken immediately after he dies, after he's embalmed, 40, 40 days, whatever it is, by the Egyptians. And he's taken immediately to, his, to Canaan, and he's buried. Joseph is not. No, he says, take my bones, right? Yeah, yeah which actually um, Jeff Chadwick in, in the follow him said, no, probably his mummy, because he's a, <laughs> like, you know, he's a high ranking. They, they mummified. They took his mummy. <laughs> but why? Why doesn't Joseph instruct his family to take him right after he dies, just like Jacob was taken? What do you think's up with that? Have you ever thought of that before? Well, I mean, the very next chapter is you jump right into the Exodus, Exodus story. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is calling forward to when they do get out. That is, that is Joseph getting out. Yeah. And I think Joseph kind of like the captain of the ship. I go down with the ship kind of a thing, but, but there's a moment of faith here where he, and he even says it to them when he says, take my body back, God is going to deliver you back out of Egypt. Yeah. Take me with you. And, and so don't take me now because they could have totally taken him. Now I want to go with you. There's also this interesting thing that again, my Jewish study Bible points out that they go trans Jordans when they take Jacob's body back. So that means they go all the way around and then they come in through Jordan. Why would they do that? It's not a direct route, but it is the route of the Exodus. And yeah. so there's some parallel of Jacob that they follow that same route. I don't know what you do with that, but again, there's these patterns. And that's all I got. Should we go get on a cruise ship? Oh man, I can't even think straight. <laughs> I was probably way too quiet in that whole thing. That means this is the shortest podcast we've had. I've, you know? I've, I've been I, I've been on the balcony of a cruise ship the past thirty minutes. So. <laughs>